Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. Just because you don't see the virtual background does not mean you're not on the Intentional Encourager podcast. A little bit different setup today uh, on the road as we record this podcast, but it's going to be all right. But I am so excited to have this dynamite lady on the Intentional Encourager podcast with me. She is an author and she's written a book called Health healing and wholeness devotions of hope in the midst of illness and she is going to tell her powerful story you can probably go find that book in a lot of places but you can find her right here right now on the intentional encourager podcast and that is tracy crump tracy thank you for joining me on the intentional encourager podcast thank you so much i'm glad to be here well, I'm glad to have you here because I'd be talking to myself right now, and th that would not be a good thing. So let's start here. And I've been asking everybody in the last 20 months or so since we've launched the Intentional Encourager podcast, we launched this podcast in the midst right after COVID-19 started. We launched it April of 2020. I am always curious and fascinated to hear how people have gotten through the last 20, 21 months or so as this pandemic continues on. I want to know about how you've navigated through these last 21 months or so. And what is a lesson that you have taken from this pandemic in this time that you'll carry with you or you'll implement after this pandemic is over? Well, that's a great question. You know, we this has been quite a time. Uh, we live in North Mississippi, just south of Memphis, and our county is the second largest county in the state, but still we have a, a lot of small towns. Um, my husband and I actually live in a subdivision that's kind of plumped right down in the middle of the unincorporated part of the county. So we're surrounded by cornfields and cotton fields and, and uh, uh, soybean fields. We hear cows behind us. We hear uh, how owls hooting at night. And so we kind of felt protected. You know, of course, everything shut down here, just like it did across the country. But we we were kind of in a little little cocoon here for a little while, protected. And it took a while for, for the numbers to rise. But, you know, people are not going to stay in forever. And, and of course, then we, we pretty much caught up with, with the big city of Memphis. And But our particular situation was probably a little different from a lot of people's. Because we had a uh, at then at that time a, an almost 99 year old in our home, my mother-in-law had been living with us for about a year and a half at the time, and she um, uh, it, uh, we made it our priority. You know, from minute one, of course, we were my husband and I were actually in considered in in the higher risk category, but she was in the high high risk category. Yeah. So we decided made the decision that we would not do anything to compromise her, that we would not do anything to put her at a greater risk. And so even when everything started kind of opening back up and people started going back to church and this and that, we still stayed pretty much quarantined. And that was tough. It was. Um, but we, we, we knew that that's what we had to do to protect her. Um, now she, uh, 
she, she was in good health. I mean, basically she had always been in good health. She was on a walker. She was frail, but she was, she was very sharp and mm -hmm. she was a, a joy to be with. Um, so we went on about, uh, you know, for several months and we, we didn't, we didn't go anywhere. We, we did drive by, uh, hello and goodbye with our grandchildren, our local grandchildren. Yeah. And, uh, but what broke my heart though, was in April of this year when she turned 100 and we couldn't give her the big birthday party that I had always envisioned. So we kind of let up a little bit. We, we had our, um, uh, uh, children and grandchildren from, uh, from Atlanta came in, uh, for Easter and we decided we would, we would all celebrate, you know, just, just us, the, you know, not a big party like we'd wanted to do, but we would celebrate together and give her that, you know, that, uh, affirmation that we loved her and that she was important and that she had reached a huge milestone. Tracy, take me through kind of her thought process, because as you're telling the story about your mother-in-law, I'm thinking of my grandfather-in-law, my wife's grandfather, who was 98 at, at the, so very, very close in age. Um, different with him because he, he was suffering from dementia and was in mm -hmm. an assisted living facility. But what was your mother-in-law's mindset around what was going on? Was she aware that there was a pandemic? Was she aware of why you guys were doing certain things? And, and kind of what was she communicating to you and your husband that, you know, through it, w was her mindset still good? How, take me, I, I want to, I'd love to hear kind of her perspective, if, if you wouldn't mind sharing it. Sure. Well, I tell you what, I, like I say, she was sharp and she, she kept up with things better than we did. She would watch the news and tell us what was going on in the world, <laughs> things that we didn't know. So yeah. she knew, she understood. Now she would forget and say, well, let's, let's go out and go out to eat. Let's go to, let's go to Cracker Barrel. Let's do this. And we'd have to say, no, you know, we haven't done everything we've done for the past 10, 20, 12 months, just to mess it up. Now we can't, we cannot take that risk. So she, it was probably a little harder in a way on her than it was on me. Now my husband's very social, so it was hard on him not getting out with the guys and doing things, but she, um, she had, uh, for a long time before she moved in with us, she was a little bit of a hermit and she wouldn't get out and do things. When she moved in with us, she started going to church with us and she loved it. And they loved her. They just doted on her. She Isn't a, that amazing? Uh, that, <laughs> that Well, look, here's where I'm thinking, Tracy. And again, I don't mean to interrupt, but it, it's an amazing thing that for, for most of our lives, our parents are in protect mode of us and mm -hmm. and your husband's mom being 99 your mother-in-law being 99 and she wants to go out and do things it, it's it's role reversal because you guys were doing everything you could to protect her and she's like i want to go out and see people i want to go out to dinner i want to mm -hmm. do this and that and, and my grandfather-in-law the same way you know um was it different for you guys being the protector of her? I mean, you have children and grandchildren and I, I have a child. And was it different for you guys assuming that role as protector of, of mom when she had always been the protector 
of your husband and you and your kids and things like that. It, I mean, I hope I'm asking that question right because that's <laughs> what I what what's going through my mind. What a what a tremendous role reversal this was. You guys taking all the precautions to protect her. It was. It was. Of course, we had been doing this for a while. Um, she'd been with us for a while, and, and we had to. You know, there were a lot of things that we had to do to kind of keep her, uh, you know, safe and, and comfortable and that sort of thing. And, but she understood. I, I don't think it bothered her too much. Uh, we just had to keep reminding her, you know, we can't, we can't go back to church just yet. We can't, you know, we can't do this. Um, so it was, it was different, but she had already kind of, we'd already made that transition, I think, before COVID even hit. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't that hard. It was just a little hard for her to remember <laughs> that we know we can't go out right now. But, uh, but like I say, when, when it got to her hundredth birthday, that's what was just heartbreaking for me because we couldn't give her that big party that I had always dreamed of uh, for her. Um, but we, we did get together with the grandchildren and, and she enjoyed that. That was great. Then uh, about a week or so later, she, um, her, her nieces, three nieces and a great niece that she had not seen in quite a while came by. They, a lot of them, several of them were from out of town and we had a little patio party and we had cake and ice cream again. And she just loved that. It was just, it was just wonderful for her. And, and that, that kept her going, but she, I also heard her one time telling somebody on the phone, she said, I've just been partying all month long. She said, I've just been having a great time. And so she turned a hundred about the middle of April then 12 days later, she had a heart attack. And that just, that just stopped everything. She, um, she was in the hospital a couple of days and we brought her home. She kept getting weaker and weaker. And the doctor finally said, there's really nothing else I can do for her. So we had to put her on hospice. Um, and I, I honestly, Brian, I honestly did not think she would last a week after that. She had gotten so weak. Well, here's, the, here's what I will say. And, and, and again, you when when you have a loved one from experience when you have a loved one that reaches those milestones i can remember when my wife's granddad and her grandmother turned 90 then her grandmother passed but her grandfather we get to 91 we thought, oh wow 92 mm -hmm. oh okay 90 okay 95 okay and my wife's granddad was still driving at 95, you know, the state of West Virginia gave him his driver's license and I renewed his driver's license at 95. You know that there are more days, far more days behind them than ahead of them. Did, did your mother-in-law, I'm always, because I would always find myself asking my wife's granddad questions like, take me back when, you know, how did you meet? her grandmother how did this happen how did that happen did you ever find yourself in in that year and a half to two years did you ever find yourself really um getting her to story tell or trying to to bring out some of these things that you could cap we have a video and i don't mean to 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 hijack the conversation i have a video on my phone about three or four years ago of my wife's granddad praying at Thanksgiving. That's precious. And so, yeah, my wife watched it not so long ago. And um, it, it's something that I'll always cherish. I think he was 96 at the time. 
And, and we always thought, okay, would he make it to a hundred? Would he, and, and your mother-in-law did make it to a hundred, but did you ever, how, how often did you catch yourself wanting to get her to tell stories? Because my goodness, when you live to be that long, the stories you have to tell. Mm -hmm, right. Well, we had really already done that. Um, in fact, years before I had made up some little books for both of my parents and for her. And I, I, each, each day, or I had like one week for each page, and I asked a question. What was your child? Where, when were you born? What were things like when you were born? What were your parents like? Tell me about your grandparents. Uh, or, and certain things that I knew, like she had ridden a calf and gotten bucked off. I said, tell us about that. So I had written this whole, you know, put this whole book together for her to fill out. She never did it. So when she moved in with us, I made it a point. I said, we're going to, we're going to finish this book. So you know, at lunchtime, uh, several times a week, we would sit down and I'd say, tell me about this. And so she'd start talking. I would start writing. <laughs> so we had kind of already done that. And I advise anybody who has an older relative, uh, especially when they're getting on up into years like this, to do that kind of thing. Because like you say, those stories will always be lost, will be lost if you don't write them down. Uh, and you'll regret that later. So it's, it's a wonderful thing to do. And you, you can know, learn so much. You know what we found? In, in my wife's, as we were cleaning out the house, we found because my wife's great-grandfather had lived with her grandfather when my wife was a teenager. My wife was 16 when her great-grandfather passed away. Of course, my son was 20 when his great-grandfather passed away. So they, you know, there'll be those stories. Mm -hmm. But we found in his house we found papers that he had kept from his grandfather, his, my wife's grandfather's grandfather. Wow. And these were papers from, you know, some of them were dated 1895, you know, 1889, just unbelievable. And, and there's a little bridge, Tracy, that we drive to get to my sister-in-law's house that's named after my wife's grandfather's grandfather. And it's, it, it's amazing to me as you're sitting down and writing these stories, whether it was your parents, your, your mother-in-law, what's the first thing that comes to your mind as you're doing this? I guess that I will be so glad that I have this later because, you know, I think now, now that my, my parents are gone and now that she's gone, I've thought often of, oh, I wish I could ask them this. I never thought about asking them that. So the more you can write down and, and preserve, I think the happier you will be later. And, and I actually made these books out for my children so that they would know what things were like with their, for their grandparents. And uh, it's something I want to pass down through the generations. And I think that's so important to have that history. You know, and, and that I love that perspective, and, and I'm just drawn to ask about it because with all the technology that we have, and you and I are community, we're, we're recording this podcast over Zoom. Mm -hmm. we, as we record this, I'm in Virginia traveling for business. Tracy's in Mississippi. We're able to have this technology and have it, and if you're watching on YouTube, you can see the, the, the conversation back and forth. We have all this technology. 
to be able to preserve and record and document this family history. We were fortunate enough for a while to have my grandmother's family Bible. In fact, I have my grandmother's rocket. I never knew my grandmother, but I have a rocking chair in my living room that, that was bought for her in the 1960s. Now it's been reupholstered, but it was still the rocking chair. The framework of it is the rocking chair that my grandmother sat in my grandmother Sexton. I never met my grandmother Sexton, but still it's like having a piece of that family history. Take me through the perspective of your kids as they are thinking about, you know, your kids and your grandkids and these stories that are written down. What's been their reaction to, to this, to having these things so readily available? Well, of course, I had given my parents books to them years ago, and they've they've kept those. I think they've read them once in a while. I, I'm going to give them these books from my mother-in-law uh, for Christmas this year, so they haven't haven't got them yet. Um, but I know uh, well, I know we will not spoil appreciate. the secret. <laughs> no, we, we will wait. Tell. We will delay. <laughs> we will delay the 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 releasing of this podcast because we do <laughs> not want to spoil the secret. No, they'll be happy though. And I know they, they know that I had made these books up uh, years ago for her too, but um, I think, I know that they will be glad to have them. I know that they'll, they'll enjoy having that history. And, you know, I said that her, her church uh, just loved her and doted on her. They, they talked about how much she contributed in Sunday school class. And in fact, one lady said, she said, I've, her name was Pharisee, that, which is a really different name. And she said, I've started a, this was my mother-in-law's name was Pharisee. And she said, I've started a book of Phariseeisms because she said, I want to keep all these bits of wisdom that I'm gaining from her. And I know my children will feel the same way. Um, and, you know, Brian, one of the, the um, devotions that I put in my book, it, this was, of course, long before uh, COVID started, um, was about her. And it's entitled, Who Are You Calling Old? And it's about how much we can learn from older people and how sad it is when people just kind of brush them aside and treat them as though, you know, they don't have anything to contribute. They've, they've passed their age. They're too old to do anything, but they're not. You know, she would, she would call people and ask how they were doing, check up on them. She would write car cards, get well cards or birthday cards. She would let them know that she thought about it and she would pray for them. Yeah. And that was the, the biggest, that was the biggest thing that she did. And, uh, you know, so they have lots to contribute and we, we need to appreciate them while they're here. Let's step aside, take a break. When we come back, I want to dive in a little bit more into that because there's something really powerful that people from that generation have that we're missing and that I'm trying to help bring back. They, they had this gift and I want to talk about that when we come back. My guest is author Tracy Crump. Joining me on the Intentional Encourager podcast back in a moment. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. You know what's really important to me when I do business with a company is trust and transparency. I've been telling you now for a good while about my buddy Damon Burton and his company, SEO National, because trust and transparency are just as important to them. You know, for the last 15 years, in the search engine optimization space, they have been leading the way and serving people tremendously well. Now, for those of you that don't know what SEO is, it stands for search engine optimization. It helps you show up higher on Google searches so that folks that are looking for what you have find you quicker. 
And you know what's really encouraging? More revenue, more sales, growing your business. Do me a favor. Get in touch with Damon and his team today at SEO National at 855-736-6285 or go to seonational.com and get your free quote and tell him you heard it on the Intentional Encourager podcast. I hope you're ready because here comes a dynamite conversation on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Tracy, before the break, I kind of teased this and I said, you know, the, the gift that, that people like your mother-in-law and my, my, my wife's granddad, the thing that they have, they seem to have a gift of encouragement. They seem to know how to encourage people. And that's what I'm trying to bring back is intentional encouragement because they've been through a lot of stuff. You know, your, your mother-in-law was born in 1921. My wife's mm -hmm. granddad was born in 1922. So they were children during the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. They were young adults in World War II. And of course, as we record this, we just recently celebrated the eight, not celebrated, but memorialized the 80th anniversary of the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Mm -hmm. And they, they were young adults when when those world events happen they can remember the korean war because then they were adults starting to have kids of their own and in vietnam they were you know my wife's grand my wife's grandparents became grandparents in 1969 in the midst of the vietnam war mm -hmm. and so all the history they've seen so they've been through some stuff but they they knew how to encourage people when you think about your mother-in-law's life, I love that name, by the way, Farsi. That that See, is Farsi. Farsi. And there's a story behind it. <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. My grandmother's <laughs> my grandmother's name was Oida, so I, I understand that that those old-fashioned names. My wife's grandmother's name was Winnie, so I I understand that. But Farsi, the things that she had seen, and 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 had taken into account. Being so intimate with her care and having her in your home and, and things like that, why do you think that she had such a great gift of encouragement? Because I, I'm, I'm interested to find out what you saw that, that, was, that was inside of her that drew that out to give that to others. Forgive, again, forgive me for the long-winded uh, question there, but it, it's, an, it's very interesting to me. Mm -hmm. All right, you want to wait till we're back on? Uh, we are, we are rolling. We're back on. Okay, okay. See, we're not well, going to edit this. See, we're not going to, folks, we're not going to edit this out. No, it would okay. not be, it would not be <laughs> the Intentional Encourager podcast if we edited stuff out. We just, it, it, it is spontaneous conversation. But sometimes I get rolling into a question and I don't know when to stop. <laughs> what, what do you, why do you think that, that, that Pharisee had such a great gift of intentional encouragement? Well, I, again, I would need to kind of give you her personal uh, history, and that is that um, she she was a very independent woman for her time. She it's, became a hairdresser. Um, she lived on her own. She did not get married until she was 29. She was very independent, and she was married, um, and about uh, two years later, she became pregnant with my husband. Did she ever him. say why she waited so long? Because that, that was very unusual for 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 women of that time because again and, and i i mean no disrespect to miss farsi but back then 
if you waited till you were 29, you were almost considered too old. An old man. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to say it. I wasn't going to say it. But did she ever tell you why she waited so long to marry? She just did not find the right man and she was not going to settle. She was, she was going to wait for the right man and she was happy. She kind of considered herself a career woman. Like, as, like I said, that it was unusual for that time, but she, she was not unhappy. She was not going to hurry. She was not in a rush. And when she finally found the right man, she knew it and she got married. And a uh, short time after she had my, my husband, he was about six, seven months old. Her dad got very sick and he passed away and they were up there for the funeral when her husband became ill and they rushed him back home to the hospital. Uh, they said he had tonsillitis and did surgery on him, but he never woke up and he passed away. Then she happened to be pregnant a second time with their second child and a few months later, she lost the baby. So within three months, she lost a parent, a spouse, and a child. And that greatly affected her. She never remarried. She raised my husband on her own. She went back. She had to go back to work, which was not something she wanted to do. She wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. But all that, I think, made her a much stronger person. But it also... You know, what might have destroyed someone else, I think it gave her a perspective on life that she knew she could make it through, but she always credited God. She said it was only God that got her through. And because of that, she could radiate that feeling, that, you know, that strength from God to others. Mm -hmm. I remember when, when we took her out for her 80th birthday uh, one time. Um, she was just, just laughing about something. And, and she said, you know, you know, if you can't laugh, you might as well die. She said, she said, there's nothing like laughter. She said, and that's what makes, you know, what makes your, your life happy. And so she, she was always happy, a happy person. And she always um, wanted to share that with other people. And so well, the Bible says laughter doeth good, like a medicine medicine. And, mm -hmm. and so, you know, it's, it's important. I, I, I've got to. I've got to go here for a second. I, I'm. I'm curious about something. Did your husband ever talk about the impact? And I don't mean to be personal, but but these things just resonate as you tell the story, because my father lost his father very young. My my dad was four when his dad passed away. Does your husband ever talk about the impact of not having his father around growing up? Um. Not. Not much, but I tell you what she did that made a difference, I think, is she made sure that there was always a strong male influence around. Now, she had to leave him with other families. At the time, they didn't have daycares and that kind of thing, so she left him with other families. But she made sure that there was a strong male influence, a good male influence. And I think that, um, you know, there, it's kind of like having surrogate fathers, um, to influence him. And they, they took that seriously too. And they, they did their best to, to help him raise him into the man that he became. And I, I'm very proud of the man that he is. Um, but I think that that made the biggest impact on him was having some, a male role model in his life when he was young. You know, I know, so, I love what you said about what Miss Farsi would say. If, if you can't laugh, you might as well die. Because again, I can't imagine losing your father, losing your husband, and then, and then losing a child. Because the natural inclination, Tracy, would be 
my husband's gone, but there's a piece of him still within me mm-hmm. with this child. And now that child dies. And, and, and again, as a parent, myself and my wife having a difficult pregnancy with our son, it, 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 it's hard for me to fathom that. Do you feel like that shaped her into the person that she ultimately became? How do you feel like God used that in her life? And we'll go here for a second. You know, it, folks, I make no bones about it. If you listen to this podcast, I, I am a Christian. I, I'm not, we make no bones about it. I don't automatically gear this podcast to lean to my Christian faith, but understanding faith gives me the perspective to say that God uses things in, in our lives to shape the course and destiny of our lives. And a lot of times it's, there are times it's tragedy that does this. I'm just curious, did, how did she say, or did she ever say how going through those things impacted her and the lessons she learned from it? Because you said, she said, if she, if, if, if you don't laugh, you might as well die. And I love that. <laughs> but, but how do you, what lessons do you believe that she took from those tragic events? that shaped the rest of her life? Well, she knew from the moment that all happened that she had to lean on the Lord. Now, I won't say she didn't go through some tough times. She did. And it did almost destroy her. But she came through it um, only because she leaned on the Lord. She knew that without his strength, she she would not be able to make it. Um, Like I said, she didn't want to go back to work, but she had to. She made the tough decisions. They, and I don't know if I should tell all of this, but, you know, they, they actually lived below the poverty level for the whole time my dad was growing up. He never knew it because she made sure that he had everything that he needed. Um, she worked harder if she had to, uh, you know, she did whatever she had to do, but she had, she knew she had to lean on the Lord. She had no other, other, no one else to lean on. Well, and I understand that very well because, mm-hmm. you know, growing up in Southern Ohio and, and being across the border from West Virginia and now living in West Virginia, you know, we're one of the poorest states in the country. And, and of course, now you live in the state of Mississippi, <laughs> yeah. which is so, so we understand that. And, and I can remember my, my dad and my aunts, my dad's the youngest of 12, talking about how that. Uh, after my dad's dad passed away, they, they really struggled. I mean, it was, you know, Lord send some groceries, send somebody by Mm -hmm. with something to eat. And you, you, oh, to have that kind of faith, right. Mm -hmm. Oh, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to go through that to get that kind of faith, but, but those people just tended to have the, the kind of faith that we lack, you know, if we don't have the, and forgive me for going off on a, on a, getting on a soapbox, but if we don't have the latest and greatest iPhone, or we don't have the latest and greatest computer, or we don't have the latest and greatest of this, you know, if, if we're not addicted to stuff, then we feel like our lives are incomplete. And, and, and those folks were just grateful for a little bit of flour and meal that they could make some cornbread and, and get, you know, get, 
you know, hey, we got some beans and we got corn. You know, I, I, I like beans and cornbread. I'm not going to lie. I like beans and cornbread. You know, I didn't I didn't when I was growing up, but I've learned to like him. I've learned to like him now. But Tracy, what I what I find so fascinating about what you've told me, and I wish I could have I, I wish there was some way that we could have done this done this conversation a while back and I would have sat with Miss Fairsey on the computer screen and talked with her on this on this podcast. It's so beautiful that we have these people that that impact our lives. Let's go here. When when was the idea for the book that you wrote born? Was it something you always wanted to do to honor your mother-in-law or did you just have one of these moments? And, and let me remind folks about the the title of your book, Health, Healing and Wholeness: Devotions of Hope in the Midst of Illness. Now, only only one story in there, Brian, is is about her. Uh, the the book actually is based on my work as a, as a an intensive care nurse. Let's we'll years go ago. we'll go there in just a second. Mm -hmm. but, but again, I, that story. What? Yeah. What was it? Was it a series of events, or that event that that kind of put you to to writing? Let me ask it. Let me ask the question this way because I I, I know, you know, I I know that she really influenced your mother-in-law. You can tell as you, as you talk, if you're watching on YouTube, you can tell as Tracy is talking about her mother-in-law, you can see that influence there. You can see that, that genuine love and respect. What do you, was your book out before she passed away? Kind of yes. Take me through that timeline. What did she think of, what did your mother-in-law think <laughs> about your book? She was my biggest supporter. <laughs> when I got an early box of books, she bought, I don't know how many of them. She said, I want to give these away as Christmas presents. I got to give one to this person, this person, this person. And uh, she was my biggest support. Let me tell you, let me, let me take you back now a little bit and tell you kind of the history of it. Um, I, the book started well before COVID and uh, I had had started writing on it, uh, had an agent who started shopping it around to publishers. Anybody that's published a book and had anything to do with that knows that nothing moves slowly in the publishing industry. So it took up like a year and a half, two years for him to find a publisher. I had just signed the contract in February of last year when COVID hit in March. And I said, you know, I kind of had a conversation with God and I said, you know, Lord, health, healing, and wholeness, a pandemic. Wouldn't this have been the perfect time for this book to have come out? <laughs> and he said, well, no, I have other plans. So I, you know, I was fine staying home because I had a book to write. And so I finished it up that summer and sent it in. Thought it would be published by the end of the year. It wasn't because of uh, the catalog timing and this kind of thing. It wasn't going to come out until June of this year. Um, and of course, I was getting ready. Uh, anybody who knows, like I said, anybody has written a book knows that, uh, and you, I know you have done this, that you do your own marketing nowadays, that the publishers do not market your book for you. So there's a lot well, to I do. I was my own publisher. So you I, were mean, your, I understand Okay, so you did that. it all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, so you know that, you, you know, the launch day is a big deal and you're getting ready for that and you're just building up to that and you're doing all these things. And then my mom, mother-in-law had a heart attack in April and everything came to a screeching halt. Let's let's park right there for just a quick second. Okay. Let's, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, 
I want to dive into for the last part of this this conversation. I want to dive into the book, and, and and folks, forgive me for really really diving deep on on the story of her mother in law. I, I'm just fascinated by that. <laughs> I, I mean, you you get to be a hundred years old, and and you have that kind of impact. I mean, it, it's just it's not lost on me. But let's step aside, take a break. My guest is Tracy Crump. She's the author of the book, and she's going to talk about her book, Health, Healing, and Wholeness, Devotions of Hope in the Midst of Illness, back in just a moment on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton. I want to take a moment and tell you about my friend Harry Spate and his new book, Selling with Dignity. Harry has taken an age-old concept of sales, and he's put a new twist to it, and I love the direction that he's taken with Selling with Dignity. And here's what's encouraging about Harry's book. Instead of viewing people as numbers and machines, salespeople are now given the tools and the encouragement to be dignified in their approach. Here's what Harry says. He says, selling is an honorable profession when it's done right. When sellers feel Feel they're valuable and have integrity and respect. This opens the door for better conversations and eventually relationship. This book puts an end to sleazy sales tactics and proves why selling with dignity can be done and it leads to massive success. And I couldn't agree more. Go to sellingwithdignity.com, get your copy today. And if you want Harry to sign it, he'll do that for you. Again, go to sellingwithdignity.com and pick up your copy today of the new book by Harry Spate, Selling with Dignity. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional encourage your podcast. Tracy, before we took a break, we talked about the book and you were talking about the process that you went through. So again, having gone through that process, as you were waiting, you were talking about getting it cataloged, all that other stuff. What was going through your mind and, and how did you keep your yourself encouraged through that season of waiting, knowing what you had and what you had poured in and, and how you had poured in? How did you keep yourself encouraged? Well, uh, mostly, I guess, just um, getting getting ready for everything. I was trying to build up to, to the launch, and um, I just felt like, God wanted this book out there. It may not have been my timing, so I knew he had something better planned, just like he always does. Um, so it didn't come out, you know, didn't come out in time with the pandemic. It didn't come out by the end of the year in time for, for Christmas. So I knew he had something better planned. Um, when she had her heart attack, as I say, everything came to a screeching halt. And I thought, I'm done. I can't do anything else. Um, we, we took care of her. I, like I said, I, I thought she wouldn't last a week. She lasted three, three and a half more months. So we, we were intensively caregiving through the next three and a half months. So when that book launch came about, it was like, I can't do anything. I had a launch team already set up and in place. I had a launch director and she took over. She said, you stand down. We got this. And she started promoting. They started promoting. When that book came out on June 1st, it hit number one top news seller in Christian devotions. That wasn't me. Mm. That was God. I, could, I couldn't do anything. It, and so that's like, you know, when, when you can't, as I say, it's when you can't, God, this is what God does. You know that it's all him when you weren't able to do anything. So that was, that was a huge encouragement to me because I, I thought, 
God's got plans for this book. It's not, it's not my book. It's his. So I, I was just thrilled that, that he was, he took it to that height. And, um, how do you feel you, you mentioned that, that when you got your stack of books I, I remember how emotional I was when mine came because I wrote about my dad so I I was I was emotional did you did you think about your parents and did you think about Miss Pharisee you know um what were those emotions like when you when you saw that and and those folks weren't here to to, to, to share in that with you, because it's, you know, the first thing I wanted to do was take a book to my sign a book and take it to my dad's grave. Mm -hmm. My wife said, it'll get ruined. Just give your mom a copy and just let that be, you know, uh, and, and I'm grateful that my wife did that because it even putting it in, in encasing and things like that, it probably would have gotten messed up. But did you think about the emotions that you had that, oh, yes, that, that launch day? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, because many of the stories in there were about my parents. Uh, they were the stories or the devotions are based on my years as, as a nurse and some of the miraculous things that I saw God do when I worked in intensive care, but also through the caregiving experiences I'd had through the years. I say once a nurse, always a nurse, you know, you're always uh, caregiving in some way. And so my, my parent, both my mom and dad had severe problems. I was their primary caregiver for, for six years. And then, of course, then my, my mother-in-law. And so it was it was very emotional. And and she, I was glad, I, I would have loved to, my mom and dad to have seen it because they were they were very supportive of me, of me, you know, throughout my childhood and my adult years. They were always supportive. And then she was was a big fan. And she, she you know, she told everybody. She, you know, if I could have just let her loose on the world, everybody would have known. Buy this book. book. Buy my daughter's right. book. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Tracy, when I want to ask you this, what do you think is the biggest misnomer that people have about caregiving for loved ones? Because a, a lot of people would say, well, you know, when, when mom or dad gets to be a certain age, you know, instead of putting them at, you know, people almost think, and, and of course we've teased in our family, it's like, you know, when my, we've teased my son, we've said, yeah, when, 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 when dad gets to be you know, 75 or 80, you're just going to put me in a home, aren't you? <laughs> you know, just kind of give you like, yeah, you know, don't, don't worry about it. But, My daughter-in-law says, be nice to me. I get to pick your, your, bingo. <laughs> your <nursing home." laughs> bingo. That's exactly right. What do you think the biggest misnomer from what you saw in caregiving and as a nurse, what's the biggest misnomer that people don't understand about caregiving? Hmm. Uh, that is a good question. Uh, I try. I try to ask good you. Questions. You do. You. 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 I. You. And I'm a slow thinker too. So, but it's tough. It's tough. But I think you will never regret caring for your your mom, your dad, your mother-in-law, whoever it is. I know a, a woman who who wrote a book called No Regrets, and I think that's how I've always wanted to 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 live is to not to not have any regrets, not do anything or not fail to do anything that would leave me with regrets. And as hard as it is, and it is hard, I will not lie. It is hard to be a caregiver. I care for my parents. They both were able to stay in their own home, 
for the most part. My dad uh, moved to an assisted living for the last two years of his life, but still there was a lot of caregiving that I did. I got up in the middle of the night and for emergencies, you know, and ran him to the emergency room, did things like that, stayed at the hospital. It's hard. It is very hard and it's exhausting. Even with her in our home, we were up in the middle of the night, just like you would be with a baby. Only we weren't 20 something anymore. You know, we were 60 something. So it's hard to do, but you will not regret doing it. Um, yeah. Now, I, I don't, I don't criticize anybody that gets to the point that they absolutely cannot care for their loved one. And there are, there are times when that happens. You I know, believe when, that. You know, when my wife's granddad was starting to go through some of the dementia signs, we mm -hmm. lived next door to him and my wife would sit out in the living room and she put my son's baby monitor. She hadn't used it in years. She mm -hmm. put the baby monitor in his bedroom, hid it behind the curtain where he couldn't see it. Mm -hmm. And she would be listening. And there was one particular Sunday morning, he was going to go across the street because he thought my wife's grandmother was across the street. And so here we, you know, my wife hollers for me. We get our clothes on. We, you know, we try to, you know, be and and again, that was not her granddad. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, that was not the, he was very proper, very deacon in his church, just very together. And so, yeah, I, I can empathize and, and I, and it wasn't nearly as exhausting for me as it was for my wife because she was doing more. I was just there in a support role. I've got two more questions to ask you around that without giving away a lot of the book. Cause we want people to go get the book. Is there a particular story about your time, either as a nurse or a caregiver that comes to mind that you would share with me during this conversation? Sure. I, I, you know, I think the opening story is, is one of the most powerful. The opening story and the closing stories are, I think, the most powerful. Both revolve around children. Of course, that always tugs at our hearts. But the first story is about a little 18-month-old um, girl who um, her stroller was struck by a car and she was thrown 30 feet where she landed on her head. And when she got, by the time she got to the hospital, um, her, her pupils were fixed and dilated. They, they didn't think she had a chance, but they rushed her to surgery and to relieve the pressure on her brain. But I remember a uh, an, uh, re um, resident coming back from that surgery and told me one whole half of her, her brain is just oatmeal. Mm -hmm. She said she will never walk and talk again if she even survives. Well, she, she went, we took care of her in, in ICU and she went, she'd, she'd get a little bit better and then she'd, she'd go downhill again. And finally she got better enough that she could go to a regular floor. And usually once they go out to the floor, we never hear from them again. But a nurse came down several weeks later and told me that she was going home, wow. that she had started saying mama and wawa for water. Wow. And that, that morning she had walked to her mother. Mm. So, you know, doctors are wonderful, but they don't know everything. God had other plans for that child. Now, I don't know what happened to her after she left, but she survived and she was walking and she was talking. Maybe so, she'll be listening to this conversation. Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Mm -hmm. What's what's another, you, you mentioned the opening. Would you share the closing story? <laughs> I don't know if I can do that one without crying, but it was about a little autistic boy. Um, th there was a, uh, a program, it's called hippotherapy, where they use horses to treat children. Um, and he had, um, for months and months, they had tried to break through to him. He was not verbal. Uh, if he got upset, he would just get on the ground and spin and spin in circles. 
when they put him on the horse, first time they put him on the horse, he screamed. I mean, screamed and screamed and screamed. The only way that they could get him to calm down was to sing Sunday school songs to him. And she said, Jesus loves me was his favorite song. And so for months, though, they worked with him, worked with him, got a little bit of, you know, a little bit of reaction out of him, but not much. And then one day they took him out to this, um, this new um, trail that they had set up. It was a sensory trail where they had, you know, things that he could touch and noodles and different things like that. And so he went through and did, you know, could kind of, he would kind of robotically uh, respond to commands, but not, not really look at people, not really respond. And they came back in as they came back in from the light into the dark, he suddenly stopped. He looked down at the horse in front of him. He looked at the people on, they had sidewalkers on either side, on either side, turned around and looked at the horses back in. Like he just now realized he was on a horse after all these months. And so she started doing things with him and getting him to respond. And he, you know, it was just, it was just miraculous. Well, finally she took him down from the horse and she turned around and put him into his mother's arms. And she was able to cuddle him for the first time in his life. He was four wow. years old. He had never wanted to cuddle, didn't want to be touched. And his mom sat there for an hour and held him. Wow. And when they left, a little while after they left, um, the leader of the pro director of the program got a phone call and the lady, the mama called and said, listen to this. He was in the back seat singing, Jesus loves me. Mm. So, you know, God works in, he works miracles today. You know, miracles are not in the past tense. Yeah. He still works them today. You know, it's like what, 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 what reminded me of that when you were telling the story is I was thinking about the scripture that talked about when, when King Saul's spirit was troubled, that, that he would send for David and David mm -hmm. would play his harp skillfully, the Bible says, and Saul's spirit would be soothed. There's something about singing. Uh, and folks, listen again, I'm not going to make any bones about it. I'm a Christian. There's a reason that people are moved when a gospel song is sung. I have seen, I have watched entertainers on television that when someone begins a sing, to sing a gospel song, there begins to be tears in their eyes. There's a reason for that. There's a reason that Elvis Presley, for many, many years, sang a song called Sweet, Sweet Spirit in the middle of his concerts. And people that came to see Elvis, and Elvis's shows in the 60s and 70s were high, high energy shows. But he, had a, he always had a gospel quartet, and he always sang How Great Thou Art and Sweet, Sweet Spirit. And he would, he would tell the crowd, he said, well, please just indulge me. And people would have tears in their eyes coming to see a rock and roll show. But Elvis said, I, I've got to do this because it's that important. And, and wow, that was just so powerful. I've got to ask you one more thing. And I'm so grateful for your time. If there are caregivers out there or people that are about to walk into this season with a loved one, a parent, a grandparent, whoever it might be, what's your biggest piece of intentional encouragement for those folks? Well, first of all, I think a piece of advice is don't feel like you have to do it alone. Ask for help. Um, and there are people out there, they're friends there, you know, you can, you can pay for help and that's okay. That's fine. We've done that. 
Um, but there are friends out there that will be glad to give you a break. And there will be times, and, and, and there's no, it's no shame to say, I need a break. There's nothing wrong with that. Because you have to take care of yourself. If you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of your loved ones. Um, we had, with my, with my mother-in-law, there were times that, that we just needed to get away. And I have a friend who has, um, she, she works with wildlife. She does wildlife programs all the time. Mm -hmm. She said, I'd love to come sit with your mother-in-law. She said, let me bring some of my animals. She brought her little service dog. She brought a bunny rabbit that wow. was like this big. My mother-in-law was saying that thing was so heavy. And, and, but she sat there and stroked its fur and she brought a little guinea pig, things like that. And it was just, it was just fun. And she sat in there and watched her, her old Westerns with her, you know, and just had a good time with her. And she said, I want to come back. She said, I want to be with Miss Pharisee again. I want to talk to her. I love to talk to her. Wow. And so, you know, it was a mutual thing. So there are people out there who are willing to help you go and find them if you need to, because you need that break at times. There are going to be times you want to, to get away just a little bit and get that break. And there are people that will help you. That is so cool. Tracy, I have loved this conversation. Uh, tell folks how they can connect with you. Tell folks how they can find your book. I know people, when they hear this conversation, they're going to want to connect with you and they're going to want to find your book. I'd love for them to. Uh, my website is Tracy Crump, T-R-A-C-Y-C-R-U-M-P.com. And it's in revision right now. So it'll be a brand new one pretty soon. Uh, but you can find my book, Health, Healing, and Wholeness, Devotions of Hope in the Midst of Illness on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Um, they're in, it's in some bookstores. Um, yeah, and I would love for them. We also, for those who might be interested in writing, we didn't get into this, but I have published or I have contributed 22 stories to Chicken Soup for the Soul books. And I teach workshops on that. And that's something that anybody can do. Everybody's got a story. We all have stories. Uh, and you can share them and share them with everybody. So uh, that if that's something you're interested in, I have a newsletter that goes out. It's called The Right Life. Uh, you can find that on my uh, website also and sign up for that. And we, we send what we call story call outs where Chicken Soup says we're looking for stories on this topic or this topic. And we also send story call outs for a couple of guidepost books and some by Ravel. Um, so if that's something they're interested in doing, I'd love to connect with them about that. That is so cool. Tracy Crump, I have so enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for joining me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Thank you for having me. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.